so wonderful to see so many of you. Um, I'm really looking forward to this day and really believe that um, God is the one who has orchestrated this seminar because I've really been burdened the last year about the state of marriages in our own church. Uh, not that marriages are falling apart, but the need to strengthen the marriages so that the marriages truly represent the picture that we see in the Bible God wants marriages to have. So I'm really excited that so many of you have come. I want you to turn with me first to Ephesians chapter 5. Now, when we talk about marriage, especially in the marriage seminar setting, sometimes we may be focused more on getting some tools, getting some teachings that may equip us to have a better marriage. But I want you all to understand that marriage is very spiritual, but at the same time very practical. And so we need the Word of God, and we also need practical wisdom and understanding. But at the same time, marriage is also a battlefield. It's a battlefield because even in the Garden of Eden, the first place where Satan came to bring division was in the relationship between the husband and the wife. And that's why he came to Eve. So marriage will always be a battlefield. And that is why we must approach our marriage in the sense of a warrior, in the sense of somebody who is willing to fight with prayer, to fight with character, to fight with persistence, so that we can have the marriage that we desire. I believe all of us desire a blessed marriage. Amen? So I want to share principles from the Word, and then later on in the second and third sessions, uh, practical uh, wisdom to where we can actually begin to do the Word of God and begin to experience God's blessing upon a marriage. Ephesians chapter 5, verses... 22 to 23. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Verse 32 is critical to our understanding about the biblical meaning of marriage. Now, all of us may have different concepts and ideas about the meaning of marriage. We understand marriage from culture, from tradition, from media, from our ancestors, from our tribes. But to truly understand marriage, I believe we have to look at it from God's perspective. We have to look into the Word to see God's design that He intended for marriage and also the instructions that He gives to us 
so that we can truly experience the marriage that He wants us to have. Now, if you talk to people who've been married for years, we will know that marriage is not as simple as it sounds. Not as uh, automatic as we want it to be with life just going on happily ever after. This relationship can be the most rewarding that you will ever experience, or it can also be the most destructive for you. Tim Keller says this, Marriage is glorious, but it is hard. It is a burning joy and strength, and yet it is also blood, sweat, and tears. Right? So marriage is really a complex mystery. In it, you discover your greatest joys, but also experience um, the greatest pains and difficulty that you will have as a disciple of Jesus Christ. But at the same time, there is no relationship between any human beings that is greater than the marriage relationship. You must understand that from the beginning. Because it is God who brought the man and the woman together in the beginning. And God is also preparing a marriage at the end when Jesus will come. And in between, He blesses so many marriages. So marriage is really close to the heart of God. The way I like to look at it is this. A truly blessed marriage is like heaven on earth. But a marriage that is not blessed, let's say. A marriage that is going through a lot of difficulty is like hell on earth. Anyone experience that? It's like hell on earth. And that's why it's so important that we work on a marriage. That we don't take it for granted. That we take efforts to really work on building a blessed marriage. Because just like you need to work on your spiritual life, in the same way you need to work on your marriage. A blessed marriage does not happen automatically. We have to look at it on purpose. So in these portions of Scripture that I just read, we have the secret to understanding marriage from the Word of God. Paul says, marriage is a great mystery. For husbands, your wife is a mystery till the day she dies. All right, marriage is a great mystery. The word mystery also means secret. Secret. The word secret is used in the Scriptures not to mean that God is hiding something from us, but God wants to reveal it to His children. And in understanding the secret, you experience His power. You experience His grace and you're able to use the key to unlock the blessing and the, uh, and the grace that you will experience in marriage. Amen? So let me give you the answer from the beginning. What is the great mystery of marriage? You can write this down if you want. It's very simple. The great mystery of marriage is this, the relationship between Christ and the church, as simple as that. To understand marriage and how you can be a successful spouse in a marriage relationship, you need to understand the relationship between Christ and the church. Now, I'm going to be sharing more from the Word rather than from principles that you may have heard from other marriage seminars but I believe in the end, it's the Word that really equips us for marriage. And if you understand this relationship between Christ and the church, it just releases that one wisdom, that one revelation that unlocks all the other practical insights that you will need from the Lord in your daily walk with your spouse. What is the relationship between Christ and the church? It's very simple. It's the gospel. So the secret to marriage is this. Understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Understanding the grace of Jesus is the secret to your marriage. And also you will find there the meaning to your marriage. What is the picture of a successful marriage? Let's think about it from the Nagaland context where we have been brought up. I was once approached by a lady who said to me, you have such a perfect family. I'm so envious of you. You are so blessed. Now, she had never met me before, except that she had seen me drive up to a, a preaching uh, event that I was a speaker, and I had driven up in nice clothes. My wife was beside me. My children were all dressed nicely, and we were smiling, and we looked nice for that brief half an hour or so, and she looked at us, and she envied that picture, and she said, oh, you have a perfect family. Now, I have discovered that many in Nagaland have this vision of a perfect family uh, based on the husband having a good job, the wife dressed well all the time and smiling, children going to good schools. And so we always have that image of a perfect family. What is the biblical picture of a blessed marriage is what I think we should be more concerned about. Not the cultural definition of a blessed marriage, which may depend more on externals like job and career and children doing well in school and so on. By saying that, let me say this from the beginning, there is no perfect marriage. There will never be a perfect marriage. So if your goal and your energy is to have a perfect marriage, you will definitely be disappointed with your spouse and with yourself in the end. However, we can all strive towards having a biblical marriage, a blessed marriage. Amen? And so I believe that should be our goal. And again, the key to that is the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. All right. A Christian marriage, what should it reflect? Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28. You know the word. I'm not going to go into it. The Bible says God made them male and female in His own image. So God made man in His image. He brought them together to reflect the image of God. Man is the image of God. Woman is the image of God. He brings them into a relationship, a marriage relationship to reflect the image of God. We know that God is one in three persons. It's a perfect relationship. And I believe God created marriage and the family that comes after marriage to reflect the relationship of the Trinity. And what relationship is that? It's agape love. Can you say agape? Agape love. It's a perfect relationship where each one loves the other. Each one sacrifices for the other. Each one is completely honest and transparent to the other. Each one knows everything about the other. There's perfect communication. And through that relationship, the kingdom of God on the earth expands. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all able to function in their roles through that relationship. And even so, in the marriage relationship, the husband, the wife, and the children that come after are all able to function in their roles by understanding agape love. And when God blesses the husband and the wife and the family after that, they are meant to reflect the image of God in the different communities wherever they are. It may not be perfect. But yet they're reflecting the image of God, the love, the kindness, the faithfulness, the commitment, the, the patience, the gentleness towards one another. And through that, the kingdom of God is filling the earth. 
I believe that's the picture of a blessed marriage. Not a perfect marriage, but a marriage in which there is agape love that is being given by all the different members of that family and through which the kingdom of God grows and the world, the world, see a picture of the goodness of God, the grace of God. Okay, so a successful marriage, I believe, must reflect the image of God. And the more successful it is, it reflects the image of God in a brighter way, in a clearer way. So it's like you're looking into a glass, but the glass is dirty, so it cannot give much light. But as you, in marriage relationship, I see sometimes the marriage relationship as God's grinding stone, God's polishing stone. God polishes you through your spouse. And the more you're polished, the more you shine with the image of God, and the more God's love will shine out of your marriage to the world so that the world sees God in your marriage. Amen. And I believe that's what a successful marriage should look like. It's a work in progress. It's not something that you can arrive at at any point of time. 27 years old, you're married, but you have to continue working on your marriage. Even if you're 50 years old in marriage already, Golden Jubilee, I think you have to keep on working on your marriage. Can you say amen? So I believe that's what the biblical picture of marriage really is. So there is no specific picture. A blessed marriage should really reflect the gospel. That's it. The picture of marriage is this. Jesus dying on the cross for our sins in grace. That's a blessed marriage. How does that work? Again, we come back to the secret of a successful marriage. The first session, I'm just going to be talking more of the Word and laying the foundations. The secret is Christ and the church. Christ and the church. What did Jesus do for the church to bring the church into union with Him? Is what husbands must do for their wives to bring oneness in the marriage. And that is where you will see the secret of a successful marriage. And what is that? Jesus gave himself for us. As simple as that. He emptied himself of all glory and privileges. He emptied himself of all his divine rights, his divine power, and humbled himself, came as a man in obedience to the Father. And he, instead of thinking about himself first, instead of caring for his needs first, he put our needs first. He put our interests first, and he sacrificed his life on the cross for our sins. He sacrificed himself. And through that, he was able to bring his bride into union with him. And Paul says, this is the key to understanding marriage and living it. Not only to understand, but to live it. Your marriages will only work to the degree that either spouse are willing to copy Christ. It is both demanding and also rewarding. Because Jesus went through a lot of suffering. But the joy that he experiences afterwards to have his bride with him. 
The Bible says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the shame. So you'll be willing to endure whatever you experience in your marriage for the joy of what God can give to you in the marriage relationship. Now that's the idea of marriage. The experience of marriage is, of course, very different. It's very different. The idea is exciting. Yes, sacrifice for my husband, sacrifice for my wife. But really, the experience of it is difficult. Because in that process, marriage exposes us. See, marriage will reveal and expose your flaws like no other relationship with any other human being will. Right? Because you're most vulnerable with someone you're living 24 hours a day. Marriage will make demands of your love and sacrifice more than any relationships. Also demands of your time, your emotional energy. Marriage will also bring temptations of anger, frustration, resentment, and ill feelings more than any other relationship. And that's why marriage is designed to drive you into greater reliance on God. Greater reliance on the grace of Jesus. And to seek His strength for your life. And that is why you need the gospel. What does the gospel say? The gospel is this. We are more sinful and more flawed than we think we are. How many of you think you are not perfect? Come on, let's be honest. We're all imperfect, right? You have a certain picture of, in your mind about your imperfections, right? But only God knows you. And you know what? You're more imperfect than you think you are. You're worse than you think you are, actually, because only God knows you perfectly. How many of you agree? Yes. You're more hopeless than you think you are. In truth. Hallelujah. But at the same time, do you know that you are more loved and more accepted than you think you are, than you will ever know you are? Only God understands true acceptance. We know we are accepted, but we still don't understand that concept. You're more loved than you know that you are. Hallelujah. And so, despite all of that, our imperfections, God gives us unconditional love all the time. Do you agree? And it is this love which transforms us, His unconditional love. So a good marriage is also a place where you will experience this grace from one another. Okay? A good marriage is the place where you must experience this grace, the same grace God gives to you in Christ, is what you must give to one another in the marriage relationship. And it is through this grace that your marriage will experience the blessing of God. There is no other way. There is no other way. For us Christians, it's the way of the gospel. Other cultures may have the different wisdom and all that, but I encourage you as believers of God, the only way is God's way. And it's the best way. Which means that you must love your spouse even when your spouse fails to love you. It's not a give and take relationship. Alright? You are able to see your spouse's sins and weaknesses and still extend grace. In the same way you have received grace from Jesus Christ. It is this gospel that will set you free from your insecurities, 
sent from your need to control one another and cause you to give the same love to one another and then experience the joys of God in your marriage relationship. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 5. So that is the key to a successful marriage. Unconditional love. The secret is the relationship between Christ and the church. The experience is daily giving grace to one another. It's difficult. But this is where we must always remember what Jesus did on the cross for us. The power. Where does the power for my marriage come from? Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 to 21. Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21. Submitting to one another in the fear of of the Lord. The Bible was not written in topics wise, it was written as a letter, the epistle. So there is a context. After verse 21 comes the scriptures on marriage, verse 22 onwards, marriage. That means there's a context here we must understand. All right? The verses about the spirit filled life comes before the verses about marriage. Think about it. The verses about the spirit-filled life come before the verses on marriage. Why? Because there is a connection. There's a connection. A successful marriage cannot be two empty persons, both insecure, both desiring only from one another, Entering into marriage to find their identity, their fulfillment, and the meaning, and ending up destroying one another. When you bring two vacuums together, what do you get? You get a bigger vacuum. You get a bigger sucking sound. Right? And sometimes you may feel sucked out by your spouse. So it's important to understand that the instruction of God is be filled first. You be filled, you be filled. Let's say husbands and wives, all right? Just for the sake of illustration. Husbands be filled, wives be filled. And after you're filled, submit to one another. And then you will have the power as wives to submit and as husbands to love one another. What is God telling us here? There's wisdom here. What he's saying is this. See, in Ephesians chapter 1 onwards, God answers to us the questions of identity, purpose, meaning, our position, what God has done for us in Christ. See, God is answering to us questions about individual identity, your security, your meaning in life, your position. You are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Amen. And then in five, chapter 5, it says, individually, every believer, you must be filled. How do you get filled? The instructions are there. All right? So the implication is this. What Paul is saying is this. If you really want to do these verses from verse 22 onwards, wives submit, husbands love, 
Each of you must first be filled with God. Each of you must first be full of God. And that is where your power for your marriage will come. You will only be able to love your spouse if you have learned God loves you. You will only be able to give grace to your husband when you have received grace from Jesus in your relationship with him. Can we say amen? Understand this. Your spouses cannot fill your tanks completely. Everyone enters marriage with expectations. Yes or no? Yes. But let me tell you this. Your wife has surely disappointed you. How many husbands agree? You're scared, right? <laughs> and your husbands have disappointed you. Yes or no? Yes. We all agree they've disappointed us. Why? Because we entered with wrong expectations, expecting a perfect man which you will never get in your husband, only in Jesus. And so, we have to kill that idol of expecting everything from your husband that all your desires, all your needs for loneliness to be filled, for comfort, for strength, all your needs to be met by your husband. Cannot. It's impossible. Even Hollywood stars, Bollywood stars, no one can do that for you. There's no prince in shining armor who can meet all your needs. Vice versa for the husband. Your spouses cannot fill your tanks. They cannot meet every need in your life. Putting that demand on your spouse will cause pressures upon them that will cause each other to burn out and be resentful towards one another. To be resentful towards one another. How does this play out? Sometimes a wife who's expecting a perfect husband may be very critical of him all the time, nagging him all the time. Behind that nag, there is a display that she's actually desiring a perfect man. And she thinks that by nagging him, it will egg him on to perfection. But it really strains the marriage more. Husbands don't nag. We give suggestions here and there. Suggestions come even in the form of jokes. Right? Sometimes when husbands jokes to the wife, actually there's a message behind the joke. <laughs> so it's important to understand that no spouse can meet the complete needs of the other. It's unrealistic. Only God can truly fill your hearts. Only God can truly make you content. Alright? So we must be full of God before we submit to one another. Because even your ability as wives to submit to your husbands, it will come from first knowing how much you are loved in Christ. Husbands, your ability to love your wives will come first from knowing how much God has loved you in Christ. And that's why it's important that now we understand the role of the Holy Spirit. Because Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. The power to your marriage is to be each one of you having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Christian marriage. It works this way, that each one have a strong, vibrant, 
relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's go to John chapter 14, verse 16 to 27. 16 and 27. Now in John chapter 14, verse 16, the Bible says that God, Jesus, will send us the Holy Spirit to be a helper. I will pray the Father and He will give you another helper that He may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him for it dwells with you and He will be in you. So the Holy Spirit is in you to help you even in your marriage. To help you love your wife and to help you become a better husband. To help you love your husband and at the same time become a better wife. If you look at verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So the Holy Spirit is there to teach us. And he can teach us about marriage. He can teach you about your wife. He can teach you about your husband. Every wife is different. Every husband is unique. You cannot really apply these principles just in point-wise, one, two, three, four, five. You have to study your wife like a book. You have to study your husband. And then only will you be able to learn. The Holy Spirit is there to help you. Look at John chapter 16, verse 14. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit will take of what is Jesus and declare it to us. What is of Jesus? The truths of grace. His sacrifice. The mystery of marriage. Holy Spirit will take that and will make it known to us so that we are able to bring it into a marriage relationship. Even the love that God has for us. How do we know that love? Well, Romans chapter 5 tells us the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. 5 verse 5. The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit teaches us that we are sons of God. We are adopted in Christ. See, when we are full of the Holy Spirit, there's a song in our hearts. Right? Have you ever experienced seasons in your life where there's a song in your heart? Where did that song come from? Did that song come because you got a promotion? Did that song come because you bought a new land and you're excited? Or does that song come because of Christ? Because you are forgiven. Because you have righteousness in Him. See, God wants that song to come from Him and not from any circumstance of our lives. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So only when we have the ministry of the Spirit in our life can we be fully furnished and equipped to work on a marriage. Don't treat your marriage as something that will just happen automatically because now you're both committed. You're both tied to one another. You're handcuffed. There is no other way. You just are going to be together forever. Let me tell you this. One of the first battlegrounds of spiritual warfare is your marriage. Is your marriage. How can Satan destroy the image of God for the world? He will attack the marriage relationship. That is one of the ways he gets the future generations. A marriage relationship that is broken, maybe not even divorced, but a husband and a wife always fighting and hating one another, it produces children who are insecure, resentful, angry, disappointed with God, disillusioned with the church, 
And then when they go into the world, they don't want to do anything with Christ and the church and even with marriage. Because they have seen the unhealthy side of an untilled marriage in, in the father and mother's relationship. So to get the future generations, Satan attacks marriages. See, the idea and concept of marriage between a man and a woman, how much is Satan attacking it through homosexuality? Through women's liberation movement. Liberal theology. Liberal understanding through media. Satan continues to attack the marriage relationship. Why? Because it is through that marriage relationship that God releases so much of his kingdom. Not only for our times, but also for the future generations. That's why marriage is really one of the first battlegrounds of spiritual warfare you will experience. And therefore, you must fight for your marriage in prayer. You must fight for your marriage by equipping yourself with the Word of God. The Word of God is a sword. And that's why you need the Holy Spirit in your own life. You see, I know Christians who say, um, Pastor, I'm not interested in all this prayer stuff. I'm not interested in all this uh, being knowing the Word of God and growing in God. But I want the blessed marriage. Well, God says, wonderful. I will give you a blessed marriage. But come, this is the way. You, know, you grow yourself. You grow strong. You get the Word. You get equipped. Because it all starts from a heart. A blessed marriage is not something that God can just give to you when somebody prays for you. It's not a gift. A blessed marriage is not a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's something you work for and God blesses it according to your faith, according to your sacrifice and your humility. Can you say amen? So it's important that we understand that our own spiritual growth is so vital to experiencing a blessed marriage. Hallelujah. See, this brings us back again to one of the most basic wisdoms in Christianity. And what is that? Without each spouse having a strong personal relationship with God, your marriage will suffer. Your marriage will suffer. And that's why it's so important that you come to church, simple, basic, practical wisdom. Come to church together. Get the same teachings together. Grow in the Word together. Pray together. It's important that you're both being fed the same word, the same teachings. Don't leave the spiritual aspects just to your wife. Thinking that, oh, I have to be involved in the more practical things like houses and jobs. No. See, God is very practical. The spiritual always feeds into the natural. So, the Word of God has something to say about every area of life. And when we understand it, we will understand that really, you know, if you are really spiritual, you'll be also one of the most practical human beings. Now, we have an extreme because people through the wisdom of God are not able to make the bridge, the connection between spirituality and practical wisdom. But let me tell you this. Solomon was spiritual, but he was the wisest man. He became the richest man. Do you need to be able to bridge that gap in your walk with the Lord and understanding these principles? That as it begins in the spirit first, it will begin to show in your married life. Like I said again, 
come to church together, grow together, read the same books. If you have been blessed by a certain book, give it to your spouse to also read because now you are thinking like that book, but she doesn't know anything about how your thought process is going on. So it's important to be one. Just as the Trinity is a oneness, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but it is one. It's one. And you look at Jesus, it's like looking at the Father. The way Jesus thinks is the same as the Father thinks. The two shall become one flesh, God says about marriage. That means you must be striving for oneness. Oneness, oneness. That means the husband thinks like the wife, the wife thinks like the husband in a process of time to the point that the way the answer comes from the wife will be the same as how the husband will answer if you ask the husband the same question, even though they may be separate. See, you have to get to know one another so much that you actually become one. That is where you experience the protection and the preservation in your marriage. And that is why it's important to grow together. Ephesians 5.21 Submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. Submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. The word fear also means worship. In the worship of the Lord. So it's connected to your spiritual life. The deep happiness of marriage lies in this verse. And this verse is also a product of the gospel. You see, you will only discover your happiness in marriage when you put the happiness of your spouse above your own in a consistent way. See, Jesus put our needs above His, and that is the way we enter into the joy of the Father. Now, you may ask me the question, what do I get when I sacrifice my happiness and put my spouse's happiness ahead of my own needs? Well, the answer is simple. More happiness. You get more happiness in your life. A multiplication. And that is what submitting means. It means to put the happiness of your spouse above yours. It means to seek to serve one another, then to take first from your spouse, and therein you will find a deeper joy in your marriage. Now let me talk to you about the essence of marriage. Now we know that the essence of our relationship with Christ and His relationship with us is love. Not the subjective love that is defined as feelings of eros and romance are emotions. But the Bible definition of love is objective love, agape love. And it is not measured by how much you want to receive, but how much you are willing to give of yourself to the other. The simple question is this, how much are you willing to sacrifice for the other? How much of your freedom are you willing to forsake for the other? How much of your precious time and energy and resources are you willing to invest for the other? Because the essence of marriage is this, a sacrificial commitment to a covenant love. Not just love, but love with law. Because that's what covenant means, where you have promised, you have bound yourself to a contract, an agreement, that not only are you going to love your wife, not only are you going to love your spouse, but you have bound yourself with a promise. See, the heart of Christian marriage is covenant love which means a love that is bound by law. It is more than emotion. It is action. It is more than just an idea or a thought. It is practical, lifelong commitment. But don't misunderstand me. It is not meant to be devoid of feelings and romance. 
You see, just as our relationship with God is not just an obligation, but a love relationship with all our heart, our soul, our body, and our mind, it's the same in a marriage relationship. So let's guard ourselves against two extremes. One extreme is to look at marriage simply as romantic. Uh, it must be full of feelings and full of love in your heart, the feelings and the emotions of it. And when that seems to dissipate, you feel like you should not be part of that marriage anymore and you want to leave. The other extreme is when you only look at it as a societal duty to family and your tribe, and there is no passion and emotion involved in it. I believe the Bible presents to us a view of marriage that blends both feeling and duty, passion and promise, romance and also covenant. And this is where we must understand that the action, the commitment, becomes more important than just the feelings of love. If you understand faith, you see the actions of love lead to feelings of love. In the world, we think that the feelings of love are the basis of our actions of love. So we give love only when we feel love in the heart. But the Bible actually emphasizes both. That a marriage relationship is a relationship between both action and feelings. So even when you don't feel like giving love, we give love, we act in love towards our spouse because that's what the Word of God says. But also understand this. You have more control over your action than your feelings. You won't every day feel love towards your spouse, but every day you have a decision by your will and your choice to love your spouse. And when you do that, the repeated actions of love will lead to feelings of love growing in your marriage. Remember, the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, and the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is a command. Have you ever looked at your spouse as your neighbor? Because he or she is your neighbor. And you are commanded to love. You see, emotions cannot be commanded, but actions can be. God is not commanding you to like your neighbor, to have affection and warm feelings towards your neighbor. No, the instruction is to love, to love your neighbor. Choose, act, display a set behavior of love towards your neighbor. And like I said before, your first neighbor is your wife. Your first neighbor is your husband. And when there is a commitment to act in love, the feelings will usually follow. You see, it's a mistake, like I said before, to think that we must feel love to give love. See, think of the moments as a father and mother when you loved your children. You see, when they, were, uh, when they had soiled themselves, when they have to be fed in the middle of the night. See, most times we did it not because we felt like it, we wanted to, but because we knew that we must because we are the father, we are the mother. It's a duty. But the more we did it, the more love was shed abroad in our heart. It is the action of love that we must promise to keep in our marriage vows. It is the action of love that we promised in the covenant of love, not just the feelings of love. So sometimes the feelings may dissipate. It may go high, it may go low, depending on your moods and the circumstances. But the action and the commitment of love is what you must maintain, is what you must daily follow by faith. And that's why Paul said, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. See, it was not because the church was attractive and desirable. It's not because the church has done anything to merit the love of Christ. 
it is not because Jesus was feeling romantic on the cross. See, he was in agony and torment on the cross because of our sins, because our curse had come upon him. And yet on the cross he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And you know what he did? He remained on the cross. He did not leave the cross. He did not abandon the cross. He stayed on the cross. That is the greatest act of God's love, to stay on the cross to die for our sins. See, the greatest act of love is not climbing mountains to bring flowers. It's not crossing the seas to bring diamonds and pearls for your beloved. The greatest act of love is really to stay faithful, to remain in the marriage, and to stay committed to your covenant love. Remember this. He loved us not because we were lovely, but his love makes us lovely. In the same way, you must love your spouse, not because they are always lovely to you, but it is your love for them that will cause them to become more lovable in your eyes. If you, as husband and wife, will every day speak to yourself like that, I love my spouse, not because they are lovely, but I love them because of God's commandment, and my love for them makes them lovable, I tell you, your marriage will continue to become greater, more blessed, and you will see an immediate change in your married life. If you have been blessed through this podcast, we invite you to partner with us in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ from Nagaland to the nations. We make all our series available for free, but it does cost us time, effort, and money to do. So the support of people such as you will enable us to reach more people in more regions. Remember, when you give, the Word of God says in 2 Corinthians 9.8 that God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency, all things, may have an abundance of every good work. If you would like to support our media ministry on a monthly basis or through a one-time gift, kindly write to us at faithharvestnagaland at gmail.com and visit our website www.faithharvest.in and you can go to the giving section. You can also give through this UPI ID 700-568-4533 at Paytm. God bless you and thank you so much for your generosity.